Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. This is why we do it. So for a while now, I've wanted to do a series on worship. Because I think, honestly, sometimes a lot of us wonder, why do we sing songs at the beginning of church? Is it just what we've always done? Is it just because we do it because we're trying to take up time in the service? Are we doing it because uh, we want to feel the Holy Spirit goosebumps? Are we doing it because it helps us think about God? Like, you know, and I'll be honest, I think some people love the songs we sing. They love worship but some people i've had even some people tell me at our church they don't come until the worship's over because they don't like it (laughs) i'm not even kidding i can think of five people they come in the service intentionally 20 minutes after the service starts because they want to get here for the message and not worship then you got some people they're like i love worship but john you're preaching you know like I'm not sure about the preaching part, but I love to sing. I love worship. And it is just wild how people can have opinions and preferences when it comes to the songs we sing in church. So I've wanted for a while to do this series on worship and why we sing songs. And so we are going to start that today. It's going to be for the next four weeks. But one thing I realized is that before we do a series where I talk to you about the songs we sing and about our time of worship in our services, I really felt like I needed to help you understand even what worship means and what worship is. Because even in the Christian subculture, like, what does worship even mean? Because just think about it. We have times of worship. We have worship services. We have worship centers. We have worship songs. Like, what do we actually mean when we talk about the word worship? And I think, you know, terms matter, definitions matter. And if we don't have a clear definition of what worship is and how we are invited into that, I I believe we won't really grasp the purpose of it at the beginning of the service, or you won't actually, and here's the big idea today, see your life as being one of worship. I actually believe within the church, we shrink worship down to just be a time and a service. We shrink worship down to just be a place we go to on a Sunday for 90 minutes. When in reality, when you think of worship, it is actually the totality of your life. So that's what I want to help you do today. I want to help you see the holistic nature and the bigness. I don't even think that is a word. The the bigness of worship as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I've got three big ideas today that I'm going to give you up front. We're going to walk through them And hopefully I can finish this on time today. Okay, first off this, you are created to worship. Inverted worship is the problem. And you will resemble and ultimately become like who or what you worship. So the first point, you are created to worship. Say this with me, I am created to worship. You are created to worship because of the God that you are created after. 
You are created to worship because of whose image you are created in. If you were to give a simple, a simple definition of worship, it is to pour out. It is to revere, adore, treat as holy. And the crazy thing is people are good at deifying anything. Because you guys have seen this, what people pour their lives out for. The insane things that people will literally revere and adore and worship. And you might say, why would people pour their life out for something? And really, I think the simple definition is, is because you were created to worship because of, the, because of the image of the God you are created in. I'm going to get into some deep waters. Is that okay? Can y'all stick with me today? I'm going to talk about some, some deep stuff. So I need you to lean in, not lean out, keep your phones down. I know in this culture, it's kind of a snippet culture. If you don't catch my attention within the first 30 seconds, you ain't got it. But get on my phone and our minds can float. But I need you to engage today, okay? Genesis chapter 1 says... This here in Genesis, one thing I love about being a follower of Jesus is it helps you actually wrestle with and be foundational and have a firm footing on one on some of life's biggest questions. Where did you come from and why are you here? I heard one one Christian theologian say the four biggest questions everyone on the planet wants to know is where did I come from? Why am I on this planet? What is right and wrong, and where am I going? And the, one of the things that I love about being, a, about being a follower of Jesus and what we find in, in Scripture is it gives foundational, life-building truths about those four questions, and specifically about where did you come from and why are you on this planet? And a lot of that is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis, not shocking, is the first book of the Bible, in case you didn't know. Right? And Genesis simply means beginnings. And it says this here in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, reading from the, tra from the message translation. It says this, God created, he or excuse me, sorry, wrong slide. Let us make human beings in who? Our image. Make them reflecting our nature so, so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, and take charge. So here's the thing. God created male and female, and he didn't make them as God. He made them like himself, like God. And then he, he gave them dominion. He said, take charge over the created things. So he said some things, fish and da, da, da. He said, take charge over that. In, in other words, you were created to live under the authority of God as you rule over other created things. So you're kind of in this kind of like middle spot. You're a created being that is to oversee created things. Okay? Now, here's the thing. You can't understand worship unless you truly understand God. We're getting into some deep waters here. Because the image of God that you are created in God is what is called a trinity. Have you ever heard that word? Which simply means three in one, one in three. Meaning that God is Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to dive into every scripture about how God is, is, is the thread throughout scripture you see is that God is a trinity. And he's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, yet he is one God. We can see at Jesus' baptism, Jesus is baptized, and then you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son with whom I am very well pleased, and then the Spirit of God fills. You can even see when, uh, when Jesus gave his final command, he said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can see that God is three yet one. Now, why is this important? Because then you can see when God created people, the first human relationship he put into, he, he, he put into what's, what's the word? Work, working was what? Marriage. He said the two shall become what? One. Why? Because they reflect the very nature of God who is three yet one. You, you, you can see that even in God's creative order, he created male and female, that the two will become one because he was giving us a physical example to show what he himself is like. So even when I am telling my kids, hey, God is three yet one, he's father, son, spirit. It's just like me and mommy. We have come together and we've become one and, and we love each other and we serve, and we, and we serve each, each other. We don't love each other for our own gain. We pour our lives out for each other. So the thing is this, if God is three, yeah, yeah, one, the relationship that God has within himself, within the Father, Son, and Spirit. Can you put that up for me? Can you put, can you put that one slide up for me? First of all, Father, Son, Spirit, right here, I'm losing my breath. Whew! feel like I'm running a marathon. Okay, do we have that slide? Maybe, kind of, sort of. So how's everyone doing? Everyone good? Need, need this slide? Need this slide? So, okay, here's the thing, right? God within himself, the Father, Son, Spirit, there, there is relationship that is self-giving and self-sacrificing and life-giving in and of themselves. So the truth is this, God himself is community. So he's got Father, Son, and Spirit, that their relationship is one of pouring out to each other. There is no selfishness. It is all pouring out. It's self-giving, self-sacrificing. Their relationship is all built on love and sacrifice, but they pour out for each other. Why is it good news that God is not just one being in and of himself? Because how could he be love? If he just says God is love, but he's, he's only one being, and he created human beings because he was needy, that's not love. He had love within himself because it was three yet one. The Father, the Son, and Spirit eternally and from eternal past loved each other, and they were sacrificed, and there was love. So, so when we say God is love, essentially what we're saying is God is community. God is, and why is this important? He didn't create you then because he needed you. He created you because he wanted to overflow the kind of love and the kind of relationship he had within himself. And you can even see that when he created Adam, 
Eve. It was a, I want you to experience the love and the community and the sacrifice and the wholeness that I have within myself. He didn't create you because he needed you. He created you because he wanted to overflow and you can experience what it is like in the love of God. Y'all, I'll never forget when I had this moment because I always thought God created us because he was bored. He needed us. You know, it's like he didn't want to be all by himself, but the truth is he wasn't. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were in relationship with each other. And this is such good news because we see God in himself is one that pours out. You can even see he poured out the relationship, Adam, Eve, one, two, yet one. So in the thing is you are created in his image. We just read it here. You are created not God, but as like God, meaning you can't not pour out. You can't not worship. It will flow out of who you are because of whose image you're made in. And that's why you can see people pouring their lives out for anything. And here's the problem. You are created in God's image. But secondly, inverted worship is the problem. And inverted worship is when you take good things and they become God things. Where you take good things that God created for you to have rulership over. Those things then become God things and rule over you. Do you remember what, what he said in Genesis 1? The order was God is the creator, you are the created, and you are to steward and rule over creation. Now, what has happened in our culture is we have creation ruling over the created, and the created wants to actually rule over the creator. So we got, subs so we got substances and food and, and people and all these things ruling us to what we're slaves to, and then we look at God and say, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? So really the problem has now become because of sin. And here's the thing, we talk a lot about Genesis 3 within our church. And the reason why is because there's a root to the dysfunction in our world and even in our own lives. And we have to make sure, that's one thing that I love about the Bible, is it tells us why things are the way they are. It gives us a root. In Genesis 3, we know the story. Adam and Eve are sitting there in a place that God created. He said, eat from any tree of the garden, but there's one that's off limits. So God was not being restrictive. God was being, hey, you got all this stuff. Just, just this, like, 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 look, like this, like, I'm just letting you know, this one is off limits. And Satan comes and, and, and he tells lies and he says, did, did God really say that? So he tries to twist the word of God. And then he says, well, God's keeping something back from you. He knows when you eat that tree, you're going to be like him. When the truth is, they were already like God. So Satan was, was giving them a promise that was already true, but it was distorted. And so then they took the apple, and here's the thing. Apples aren't bad. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not eat apples. Or the scripture actually says fruit. Who knows? Apple, tang tangerine, nectarine, pear. They took the fruit, but what the fruit represented is it became inverted worship. Where they took a created thing and said, we are going to put more trust in this 
because it looks good, smells good, feels good, more than putting trust in what our creator has said. So the apple was just a representation of a good thing that became a God thing that then became a bad thing, and now creation was now ruling over created. And then when you see, even when that happened, Adam's response was, God, this woman you gave me, it was the re-. So like Adam blames God. So he's trying to tell God, get below me, creator. It's your fault. So do, do you guys see inverted worship is when you take good things that in and of themselves are not bad, but when those good things rule over you, when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing because now you have the problem of inverted worship. Do you guys feel this and see this and hear this? Genesis doesn't just talk about this inverted worship. Also, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1, you got to understand Rome was the epicenter of idol worship back in the day, a couple thousand years back. And there was a church there that Paul was writing to and instructing them because some of that idol worship had made its way into the church. Shocking. So he wrote them a letter in the, in the first chapter. At the beginning of this letter, he talks about this concept of inverted worship. And, he, and he's trying to help them. He's trying to get to them. He's trying to lay it out and explain it. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 1. It says, yes, they knew God. And, they, and he's talking about people. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Just want to warn you, as we read this, you're, this is going to read our culture. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, reptiles, houses, car. Oh, sorry, that, that stuff isn't. Is in here. But we could keep on going. Then it says this, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. I'm going to pause with that statement right there. God abandoned them. That is a very scary moment to get to. Is when God finally says, you want to do you, boo-boo? Go for it. The, you know, theologians actually call this the passive wrath of God where God gives you what you want. Active wrath is where God is like, hey, you did this, well, whatever. But the passive wrath is almost God saying, if, if, this is the, if you're being this stubborn, if this is what you want to keep on doing, I will ha- you, you'll have to learn the hard way, son. God abandoned them. It said, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Here's the key. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Y'all, this, we, so many things within our society we think are just like mental health issues. We think are at the root of it, it's a worship issue. Because we want to take created things and put them in place of the creator. And it's called inverted worship. And John Calvin, the great church father, said it so well. 
he said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And if the reason is, is because you're created to worship. You're created to pour out. And if you aren't consistently examining, am I pouring my life out and worshiping the creator, inevitably your life will gear towards and go towards the created and put that in the place of God. Like, it's crazy. Exodus chapter 32, you know the story. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. Not sure how long he was gone. I'm sure it wasn't years. It was a little bit of time. He goes up, and the people get so antsy. The people get so, they're like, we need gods. So, unfortunately, his brother, Aaron, says, well, give me all your gold. And so he creates for them golden calves. And they say, this is who delivered us. But it's like, we can judge them, can't we? We can judge Adam and Eve. I'm so sick of the church judging Adam and judging Eve. They're like, well, if I was Adam and Eve, I would have never done that. Fruit would have never got me. Nope. Let's stop judging them. Their story isn't just their story. It's our story. The Bible didn't just happen, it happens. Adam and Eve didn't just happen, it happens. The truth is this, we have a tendency to deify anything. Food, cars, trucks, politicians, houses, 401ks, styles, brands, kids, hobbies, bank accounts, relationships, their, 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 their sports teams, their country, and the list could go on and on where people take created things and put them in the place of creator and as a big thing, they invert worship. And that is a huge part of the problem we see within the church and also outside of the church is what it means to rightly structure worship is as the created, you live your life under the dominion of the creator as you steward and use his good creation. You're in that middle spot. And it takes work to actually examine, am I actually living my life in inverted worship? So Paul in Romans 12, so 11 chapters later, Paul then says, let me tell you what a life of worship looks like. That's what inverted worship looks like. Let me explain to you what a life of worship looks like. Romans chapter 12. He says this, so here's what I want you to do. This is the Message Bible as well. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary, everyone say ordinary. Ordinary life, you're sleeping, then he goes on here. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as a what? That's worship language. That's worship language. Take your ordinary, everyday, minutes, seconds, the totality of your life, and place it on, place, give it to God as a worship offering. Then, then it says this, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Essentially saying embracing the gifts and the life he gives you is what worship actually is. Worship is not just the song we sing on Sunday. It's not a time of worship we have within a service. It's not just a place you go to. Worship is what you were created to do because of the image of God that you are created in. But then he says, so don't invert worship. Rightly worship by taking your whole life and placing it before God. And what he's saying is, it's not a time of worship. Your life is worship. 
and you have the opportunity. And what he's also saying is you can't separate the sacred and the secular, meaning you can't come into church, I'm on holy ground, and walk outside the church and be like, this ain't holy. I mean, I remember, man, like, uh, you know, when I was a, a youth pastor maybe 10 years back, there was some construction workers working on the church. And I remember one day I, I saw the guy across the street. And I was like, hey, bro, what you, what you doing, man? And he was smoking. And he was like, I, I can't smoke on church property. Like, why? <laughs> you know, and then, then he's like, well, because it's a church. I'm, I mean, here's the thing. I get his heart. I get what he's saying. But even said, I've, I've had people say, I can't cuss in church. But then when they get outside the church, mother, it's like, what's that? Y'all, there is no sacred and then secular in a Christian's life. It is not you have the church building's holy. When I get outside, it ain't holy. When I'm in the church, got to act right. The principal's watching. When, when you get outside, who cares? No, that's not the mindset of a Christian. That's not the mindset of a follower. That is not taking your everyday ordinary life and placing it before God as a what? Offering. Because you see your whole life as an altar. That every day you climb up on the altar and you place your life and you say, Lord, in light of what you've done for me, how could I not give my life back to you? And that's what this Romans 12 is. It's basically this climax in this book of Paul describes the Christian faith, 11 chapters, how God has been good. He's been faithful. When you weren't faithful, he was faithful. When you were far from God, he made a way for you to be righteous with him. It's by grace through faith. He presents the Christian faith and then gets to Romans 12, and he says the most logical thing you can do in response to what God has done for you is to give your life back to him as an act of worship. There is no sacred and no secular. As a Jesus follower, your life is an offering. Your life is worship, every bit of it. And do you know what this infuses your life with? Everything matters. Because every moment of every day, you are being shaped and formed into somebody or something. There is no wasted decisions. There is no wasted time. There is no small this and, and, and small that. All of it matters. And that is why, that is why I believe so many people within the church are not actually living like Jesus. It's because we have bifurcated the sacred and the secular instead of seeing our whole life, we're making decisions and choices to be transformed and formed into somebody or something. Your little decisions matter. That, that is why. Habits are important. I mean, you, you see even Jesus training. You see Paul talking about, I train my body and I beat my, and beat my body. I make it because why? Because if I'm going to be like Jesus. It is the spirit working, but it's also my discipline combining with the spirit's working. It's not this hocus pocus. You're perfect now. Hocus pocus. No, it's like, no, it is the spirit of God working in you and the spirit of God works in you and works through you and through your incorporating discipline and habits and rituals that many times as Christians, we just said, well, that doesn't save us, but it forms you. 
Martin Luther said something interesting. Martin, Martin Luther, the church father, the great reformer. He said, one of the greatest hindrances to people becoming like Jesus, and this is, and, and don't, call me, don't call me a heretic, but he said, it's grace. Because Christians can just say, I'm saved by grace. Saved by grace, which is true. There's nothing you could do to make God love you. There's nothing, it's all what Jesus did. You receive it freely by grace. But then there's a work that God wants to do for you that Jesus did. And then there's a work that Jesus does in you that is a combination of you working with the Spirit. And you incorporating in your life discipline and habit. That's why I believe church is so important. To where you have cemented in your week a time to meet with God. I know in our culture that's not popular. I know you can watch online. I, I know you can watch on replay. I, I, I get that. But you have a set-aside time habit. This is where we're going. And that's why it's not a negotiable in the warehouse, not just because I'm the pastor, about what we do on Sundays. When Jackson and I, we travel down to watch the Jaguars lose again. <sighs> Two weeks ago. We're down in Jacksonville. Hey, Jackson, we're finding a church to go to. He's sitting in service with me. Because it's not going to be, it's football. It's not, it doesn't matter. Yes, it's football, but on Sundays, we put God first. He fits, he doesn't just fit into our schedule, he is the schedule. That, that is why when, when, whenever the things we, we sometimes might feel like we're beating you over the head with, give and serve, those aren't just so we can get something from you, that's so something can be formed in you. Because the more you do something for someone else, the more you become like Jesus. The more you give your finances, Jesus said where your treasure is there, your heart is, that giving doesn't, it doesn't just fuel the, the church's vision, it also forms your heart. Because God is a giver. And so the more you give, it actually transforms you. So hear, hear our heart on the Hear our heart on this. Worship, inverted worship is the problem. There's nothing that is not sacred. Your life is an offering. All right, part number three. You are created to worship. Inverted worship is the problem. John, why does all this stuff matter? Why? Because you will ultimately become like or resemble who or what you worship. There's a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament that are haunting. Because really when you look in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, what you find is so here's the thing, right? God chose a people to show himself to. In the, in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, he chooses the nation of Israel not because they were better than everyone else, not because God was like duck, duck, damn, or duck, duck, yes. He chose them because he said, I want to show myself through you. So he said, I'm, I'm going to show the nations around you who I am through the way you live, okay? So, but Israel had this continual cycle. They would follow God, and things would go well. God would bless them, and then they would get haughty. Do you know what, what that means, haughty? Prideful. So then they would think, all we have is because we worked hard. And then they would start to slowly follow other gods. They would have kings. They would make business deals with other with, with other rulers, and part of that business deal is they would have to get some of those temples into their country, and then they would, they, they, it would slowly, their, their hearts would slowly turn to where then there would be a hundred, a 100, 
90 to 80 degrees, turning away from God, and then God would have to then discipline them. And then through that discipline, they'd be like, oh my gosh, God, you're right. We, doesn't that sound like us? Their story isn't, it's, it's our story. Life's going good, woohoo, yeah, that's what I'm going to, you know. Then we get happy, and, and we can get whatever, and then we have a tendency, because life is going well, we can put God in the back seat. That's not their story, it's our story. But then what you find is that there were a couple prophets that would come, right? Prophets would come and speak God's word. And a couple things that, that the prophets said when this country was in times of turning from God is they would say this. This is what the Lord said. They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Doesn't that hit? In other words, what you worshiped, you became like. 2 Kings 17, 15. It's the same situation going on. It says, they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Do you feel the weight and do you feel, I'm, I'm praying, I've, I've been praying this for you. You know, each week I pray for you. Like what I, what I prepare I really believe it's for this community. I'm thinking about you. And, 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 so when, and, and so do you feel the weight of like why worship is important? Because you will inevitably resemble what you behold. You will ultimately resemble and become like what you pour yourself out to. Because scripture says you reap what you sow. And you can't not pour yourself out, reap for worthless things, and in turn not become worthless. According to what the Bible says here. So I hope you feel the weight of examining, of deeply examining in your own life who or what you are worshiping. Now let me tell you this. One thing our culture does not allow for is deep thinking and deep reflection. It wants to keep you busy. It wants to keep you distracted. It wants to keep you moving. And one of the things that I think COVID did is it slowed a lot of people down. And when that slow came down, then it was like the highs they were getting from their busyness, they had to go into the house of, of mirrors and actually see their life. And actually see how that's why substance abuse is up, divorces are up all the suicides up, all of the things that just spiked because people had to come face-to-face -face with their life. And so what I pray for you is that you would not be afraid of deep reflection and deep thought and truly say, God, I need you to search my heart and see if there is any unholy way within me. It's like, honestly, say, God, have I taken a good thing and put it in the place of you as creator. There are good things that are bad gods. Money is a good thing that can be a bad god. Sex can be a good thing that God created, used in the context of covenant marriage. But be a terrible god. Apples are delicious with some peanut butter. But they are a bad God. It's not about the thing. It's what the thing represents. 
And when a created thing becomes in place of the creator, that's when things get messed up. So here's the thing. I want you to, would you do some deep examining and some deep thought today? Jarvis, you can come up. Would you be courageous enough? I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Because I'll tell you, tell you this. This is convict. Yeah. No matter what your position is. You had King David, who was, king, I mean, one of the greatest kings. I mean, one of the Psalms he wrote was, search my heart and know me, O God. If there's any unclean way within me, make my heart clean. And, and I think we have to consistently be doing worship checks. Where is my heart? Where is my life? Where is my affection going? What am I pouring my life out to? Because you're created to pour, y'all. It's whose image you're made in. You are going to pour. It is unescapable. But we've got to make sure we have the worship equation right. Worship the creator as we steward his good creation as created. So I want to give you a few questions to ask that might, that might be a trail to the throne of your heart. Because there is a trail that leads to every throne. And my question is, is for you to honestly evaluate who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart that you are living your life for. Couple questions for you. Number one, whose approval are you living for? Like whose approval can't you live without? If you're like, I, I, I must have it, and it drives your life and your decisions. So maybe there's a person that's on the throne of your heart that you worship. Number two, where do you spend, spend your money? You can tell a lot about a person's life by their budget and by their, by their pattern of spending. Number three, where, where do you spend your time? Number four, what keeps you up at night? Sorry, that was a question that was not in the slides. What keeps you up at night? What can't you live without? Where do you find your worth? Do you see everything you own as a way to glorify God and in turn give you a God-filled joy? There's so many questions we could ask, but I think if you were honest, if you were to kind of veil back to see who's on the throne of your heart, my, my prayers, I think we would all see something that is competing with God. And here's the thing, many of the things that are competing are not bad, they just need to be in their right place. They need to be used in a God-honoring way as you are living under the Creator. But this is what is so good about the good news of Jesus is he delivers us from worthless idols. Jesus was the most human person ever. And by human, I mean this, like he is somebody that lived life in the body like we did and showed us what is possible through somebody that has personal discipline and is empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. What kind of life is possible? And what Jesus does is he delivers you from bad gods so you can take bad gods and use them as good things that, 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 that they are that we have put in the place of God. Is this making sense? 
and he delivers you. And this is the good news, y'all. Jesus did not come to be repressive. Jesus did not come to be that teacher that just, oh, you can't do this, three demerits here, three demerits there. Because some of you view God that way. You view him as kind of the same way Satan said, well, God just doesn't want you to, and you can view God as being this repressive God when no, he wants you to be as human as you could possibly be, but being as human as you could possibly be is living under the creator, stewarding over creation. And he wants you to be in the middle, worshiping him and using his good things to glorify the one that created you. And this is what Jesus does. He delivers you and he makes your life worthy. He makes your life a life of worship and an offering to him. Can you stand up with me? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.